Hello, my name is Rochelle Innocent and I'm the founder and CEO of Project Purpose. Welcome to our YouTube channel. Our community is focused on fostering the intellectual and character development in children. We do this through our parent-child workshops that focus on four themes, autonomy, self-efficacy, compassion, and self-concept in order to cultivate grit, perseverance, and resilience in each child. At Project Purpose, our overarching mandate is to renew and rebuild families, communities, and relationships. Our YouTube platform provides us with an opportunity to have discussions on all topics that relate to families, communities, and relationships with ourselves as well as with others, with a primary focus on mental health and education. More precisely, the ways that the institutions of mental health and education play a role and have played a role in our societies at large. These discussions and debates provide us an opportunity to think critically about what needs to change within these structures in order for us to live up to our bold slogan, support, protect, and empower each child through youth-focused development, better known as leadership in juvenescence. We recognize that in valuing our children's leadership potential, that also translates as recreating and co-creating spaces, both socially and politically, in order for our children to thrive. For those of you who are particularly keen, we also do write thought pieces every other Sunday, and we have one scheduled to drop this upcoming Sunday. So definitely be sure to check out those blogs once you're done watching this video. Now, as is the YouTube convention, please be sure to subscribe, hit that post notification bell so that you're aware of every time we post. And of course, if you like our conversations and you want to keep them going, like, comment, and share this video. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to video two this week on education. We covered a little bit. We touched on and I just asked a few high-level questions about sort of the evolution of discipline within an educational environment and this conversation is a bit of a continuation of that. So in this discussion I want to talk about some of the tools that teachers have been leveraging since corporal punishment became a non-negotiable. Um, so since you know they couldn't use sort of ruling by the iron fist, what do they rule by? I did some research and I'm actually going to provide links to a few resources down below. And so currently a lot of what some teachers are using are, are humiliation and shaming tactics in order to control the classroom. There are a lot of ramifications of that. So there are a lot of reasons why we should be concerned and take issue with a teacher deciding to humiliate or to shame your child in order to keep the classroom under control. I'm not saying that all teachers do this. I'm sure some teachers absolutely do not and other teachers absolutely do not need to, but definitely I'm sure there is a subset of teachers who have definitely left some emotional scars on, on their students. So in terms of like some reasons why teachers would do this, gain control over the classroom, to gain control over that specific student, you know, if the teacher's feeling particularly desperate, to frighten students into submission, that might be another reason why they do it. Um, and a third is, you know, because they're overcompensating um, for, for their own lack of confidence. And, you know, if you, and I'm of the opinion that none of these three are justifiable reasons to subject a child to humiliation and to have them feel different, you know, degrees of shame. In one study, teachers were sort of in their Screen, so we don't know the names of the teachers who sort of admit, admitted to this. 
um, but they felt that the students deserved the treatment and that a lot of children, you know, humiliate themselves. So, you know, why not humiliate the child? Some teachers have even convinced themselves that the children enjoy being humiliated. Um, so, you know, why not engage in that behavior for, you know, the fun of it? ways that this shows up, you know, around the world and in Canada as well is singling children out. So making them feel isolated, making them feel lonely and, you know, making them the odd one out in a classroom and sort of scapegoating children in a classroom environment. And this is important to take issue with because when teachers do this, and especially if it's ongoing, um, it challenges their sense of self, their sense of capability, their sense of ability, and it breaks down their confidence. Humiliation is less about a feeling and more about a, a state of being, right? So you, when you are humiliated, you're, you're subjected to a, a, a state of being. It's not an emotion, it's much deeper than that. Think about humiliation, power is central to humiliation. More specifically, exercising that power demonstratively and or unjustly. It's important to note that acts of humiliation, um, especially if they're reoccurring, if they're ongoing, they can be very traumatizing. Humiliate is, is an act that exercises power and it strips someone of a certain degree of their humanity. I always say this, when someone is injured, so when someone is subjected to humiliation, typically the expectation is that someone comes to their aid, so someone comes to their help. But when it comes to being humiliated, you know, this, you know, written, unwritten social contract is breached and no one comes to their help. And as a result of that, they, they sit in this feeling of, of being wronged. And if someone were to have come for help, that would compensate for the injury that the act of humiliation would create. But because no one came to their assistance and they were sort of just left there hanging, um, then the humiliation, that state of being, sets in. It sets in because it's a demonstration of the futility of the expectation of being supported and of being helped and of being defended. This is typically what we would call relational aggression. So, so acts of humiliation done when the, you know, especially when there's a power dynamic there, they're often subtle and it's often, you know, it takes someone with a fairly expansive vocabulary to be able to articulate the specific subtleties in the behavior that, that triggered the state of humiliation. And given that children are young, they don't have the same degree of vocabulary, they don't necessarily have the ability to defend themselves or to communicate their, their feelings and how their sense of self has been breached, it makes them easy targets for the teachers who don't have qualms about subjecting children to the scapegoating behavior. And more issue with this is a lot of children who are happy and well-rounded before going to school, you know, if your child after going to school becomes withdrawn, or becomes aggressive, these are typical effects of being humiliated. So, you know, while children who become withdrawn who start sort of exhibiting different behaviors that relate to shame, this is said to be sort of an adaptive coping mechanism. So, you know, they take on the blame of, of being subject to the specific behavior as a way of, you know, protecting themselves and of shielding themselves from more behavior. And they sort of withdraw into themselves to withdraw from being noticed. But then the effects of this long term involve depression, different types of anxiety disorders, and, and a lot of deep-seated insecurities as a result of the way that they've sort of internalized the treatment that they've received from other people. Whether, whereas other children are going to become aggressive, so they're going to try to resist this behavior and sort of act on the sense of being treated unfairly and unjustly, um, and then sometimes they're wrongly labeled as no, not being 
well-behaved or being disruptive when a lot of this is cause and effect based on the interactions between these specific students and their teachers. And the scapegoating behavior it becomes more expansive because a lot of the time the children is becoming disruptive if they are trying to find their voice in, in trying to defend their sense of self and sort of create boundaries the way that they know how, um, which isn't going to be very sophisticated given that they're children. A lot of the times, you know, the, the second step to this relational aggression is, you know, your child's unruly, let's put them on prescription medication. And I want to talk about this because I think that the history of discipline within education has always had this layer of, of humiliation and shame. And, and first that was with corporal punishment, so that was with, you know, physical force. And, and now I think it's become much more subtle. And I think the fact that it's more subtle, it makes it more dangerous because we know, you know, the saying, sticks and stills may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know that that's not true. And in fact, psychological scars, emotional scars stand to last longer and, and be deeper than the scars that would have been left, you know, from physical abuse, not diminishing physical abuse is still absolutely wrong. Um, but emotional and psychological abuse isn't less wrong, it's equally wrong. We need to start holding teachers accountable if they are engaging in these behaviors in order to control and moderate their classroom. And, and we need to start taking very seriously, you know, acts of humiliation done towards children in order to maintain control of the classroom. We need to start thinking very critically about the toolkits that teachers are being provided with in order to be able to manage large classroom sizes here in Canada. I'm not sure where you are, but you know, I think the average going rate is about 25 to one, 30 to one. And, th and these are children within their formative years who haven't self-regulated and who aren't always motivated to behave well. So sometimes what teachers do to maintain that control is you know, subject children to humiliation um, in order to get them to behave. But humiliation is traumatizing. Being humiliated, especially repeatedly, it breaks someone's view and someone's trust with the world around them. When someone is humiliated and no one comes to their defense and they're sort of left feeling wrong with, you know, the sense of powerlessness, it's like I'm, I'm being wrong, but there's nothing that I can really do about it, that really has a negative impact on your child's sense of self and their sense of well-being. And when we, we take well-being so seriously in adulthood and we find our way back to mental wellness, we find our way back to mental health, and a lot of the things that have broken them are some of the traditional norms within our schooling systems that we have failed to question or that we have failed to criticize or that we have failed to reform. So I think that we need to think very critically about a teacher's toolkit, about how they manage their classrooms, about their sensitivity to the d degrees of diversity within those classrooms and how that translates. Um, if whether or not there are children who are more susceptible to being targeted for this kind of behavior, um, how do we protect those children? Um, and also just more accountability. I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, once in a blue moon, we hear about an egregious act of, you know, a child's violation within schooling systems, but how about the little ones that have long-term effects? Why don't we address those? Um, we have too many students now, too many children who have serious social anxiety disorder, who are very withdrawn, or, or children who are very aggressive. And again, these behaviors are both effects of humiliation and shame. Um, so if we are sort of sending our children to school, we should be subjected to humiliation and shame. And remember, even if they aren't the scapegoat, there's visceral trauma. Um, a child can have these effects just by witnessing and, and feeling powerless to support a friend or support a peer who's being subject to humiliation and shame.
a classroom environment. So, so know that this isn't only impacting the children who are being targeted, it's also being the children who are, who are forced to witness this behavior and, and still because of that power dynamic don't have the power or the ability or feel like they have the voice to defend and to support as, as they know they should. Um, so I think this conversation is important. Um, I didn't want my videos on education this week to be super long, but I wanted them to be thought-provoking because I do believe that we've not been very mindful or very conscious of about the way that discipline translates in our schools today. I mean, it was only in 2004 that compult, that corporal punishment was completely abolished from schools and 1971 in Toronto, but I think those attitudes, those mindsets have just translated differently. We haven't gotten rid of them. There are just different ways of subjecting children to sort of this relational aggression in order to keep that order and control in the classroom. And if not, you know, what tactics are these teachers using? Why are children having such high degrees of, of anxiety, of depression, um, of stress-related mental health issues? Um, child suicide rates are, are again, very high. Um, we need to think about some of the effects of this. And if our children were well-rounded and happy and before they started school and after they started school, they started to kind of exhibit these behaviors that translate as, you know, something within the schooling system isn't going right. Sometimes even if your child's being bullied, the trigger to that bullying is it has something to do with the interaction that that child had with an authority figure or with a teacher that sort of, that gave the green light that this child, you know, is an easy target. Um, so I wanted to have this conversation because I don't think that we do have enough conversations about the way that discipline translates within schooling systems. I think because of the fact that we don't get to choose teachers, we don't necessarily have a sense of how these teachers view disciplining different children within the classroom, if whether or not we are even aligned to their views on how they you know, exhibit discipline within those classrooms. I think we need to be the ones as parents and as you know, community members who, who want to ensure that our children's sense of self is preserved and that we're cultivating great resilience and perseverance within our children. We want to make sure that the behaviors that these people in authority you know, positions are not such that they're abusing that power and sort of sub forcing children to submit in ways that are degrading and that are inhumane but are very subtle. So I wanted to have this discussion. I didn't want it to be super long, but I thought hopefully that this is engaging and it will create discussions, you know, within your friend groups and, you know, with your partner, whoever that might be. And I hope that you ask these questions, that if you ask the questions to your teachers, uh, your children's teachers, ask the questions to the principals, to the school boards, get a sense of how discipline translates and make sure that your voice is taken into consideration. Like if there's something about the way that discipline translates within the schooling environment that you don't think is appropriate or if they are, there are humiliation and shaming tactics being used in the school and you realize that your child or a child that your, your child knows is suffering the effects of it, then I think it's about time that we all speak up. I think we need to really think about the way that education has translated, about the ill effects of that translation. And I think now that we're aware, that we're conscientious, that we have information available to us that lets us know the ill effects of allowing people to sort of treat children this way, especially within their formative years, then we need to put a stop to it. Um, so I wanted this to sort of be a conversation starter. I wanted us all to have a chance to think about it, to debate on it. Um, 
because I do believe that, you know, with the removal of corporal punishment, it wasn't the removal of the concept of corporal punishment. I think that it just translates differently. It's much more relational. It's much more sort of psychological and emotional based. And it's equally, if not more detrimental. So thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope that you are, you know, as passionate about this topic as I am, or I hope that I've at least, you know, triggered some of your curiosity. And I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'd love to hear some of the stories that you've sort of encountered and even anecdotes. I mean, there's so many celebrities who made it to where they were because of a teacher who told them they couldn't get there. And I think there are too many of those anecdotes and enough so that we need to think about the children who weren't able to achieve their dreams because of the teacher that told them they couldn't get there. We need to think about how we ensure that these teachers who are in these positions of power, who are adored, who are respected and celebrated by their students, don't abuse that privilege and break our children before they have a chance to really grow. So anyway, I know I've, I've tried to close this off a few times and then kept going. Um, and I think it's because this is a really important topic and, and it's not one that we talk about enough. And I, I think that there's, there's some articles um, that I was able to read on it and they kind of brushed along the surface of it. And I, even there was this re one research paper that, paper that I read about you know, the effects of humiliation and shame and, and it talks about how it just strips someone of their sense of self because it's like a breach of their metaphysical being. Um, and a breach of, of, of a sense of that being preserved and respected by within the societies that they're in. Um, and, and some of the anecdotes come from refugees, from people who, come, who sort of were abused and subject to, you know, war-ridden environments. And it, and it would be horrible if subtler and more discreet acts of the same kind were happening within our schooling systems and we just failed to notice. So anyway, that was the discussion point for this week. I hope that it is interesting to you. I would love to hear from you. If you don't leave a comment, then definitely for sure send me an email so that we can sort of keep going back and forth. And definitely let me know what else you want to talk about when it relates to education. I know a lot of my first few conversations were a little bit more abstract and more about sort of the, the philosophies that built into the foundation of education, but now we're going to get more practical and we're going to talk about the specific pain points within the educational environment specifically. And I would love to hear from you as parents of whether or not you have been managing your child who's been dealing with shame and humiliation or dealing with a teacher who isn't sensitive to their degrees and dimensions of diversity. And I think that, you know, if we build a collective voice, we can really start to hold these teachers accountable and start creating real change um, within our given educational systems. And if that change doesn't happen, again, we have alternative options. And I think that if that change doesn't happen, then it's definitely time to explore those alternative options. So anyway, that was the topic for this week. I'm definitely going to close this time. Thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, have a great day. <laughs>